If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through, he reached the gospel of all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. How many here would say, I, I'm an ordin- you're just an ordinary person, like you're, you're, you're within the realm of ordinary, you'd say that. And the, wow, like, man, there's a lot of extraordinary people here. Or really lazy people is more like it. Okay, I'll ask this one differently. How many here is this? You've just done like extraordinary things for Jesus, like you, you know, like the 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 lame walk, the blind see, far away people have come to that. That's you. You've done extraordinary things. Okay, okay, okay. A little more honesty. Okay. Um, last. How many of you just have like tons and tons of friends outside of? of the church that you just think their life, their character, the values, uh, how they lived, you just think they'd be like an ideal match for Christianity. How, how many say like you just have tons and tons of friends that way? I mean, all right, okay. So, I, so what I'm talking to, I'm talking to a group who's half ordinary, half lazy. Okay, we're talking to an ordinary group of people who haven't done very extraordinary things uh, and don't have lots and lots of people outside uh, friends outside the church that they think are a perfect response. And I think I'm talking to the right crowd because today we're going to read a story about a guy who's very, very ordinary, but he did do extraordinary things by reaching a very unlikely person. And uh, this is what, this guy named Philip. Uh, we, we heard about him last week. He uh, Jerusalem to Samaria to here. We're going we're to learn about Philip. We're going to learn about how he lived as a sent man. And so today I want to talk to you about being sent. What does it mean to be sent? Well, Jesus said that uh, you will no longer, Matthew 4, when he called his disciples, he said, hey, you're no longer going to be catching men. You're going to, or excuse me, catching fish. You're going to be catching men. And then when he gave the great commission, he sent them. He sent them, I'm going to send you in all the world. 
uh, to preach the gospel, making disciples and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And, and we, we often think about people who do things like what Philip did. Well, he was a missionary, right? Like he did the, he, you know, he did the, you know, this, he's like the Navy SEAL type Christian, uh, which isn't true. Uh, missionary really isn't a, a Bible word, it's, but there is a word in the Bible or a phrase in the Bible that gets used a lot. It means living as a, as a sent one, that we are saints, holy, set apart for a purpose. And this is something that gets applied not just to the special few, but to everyone living as a sent person. And that's what Philip lived. Because check it out. Let me show you. I have to skip a few verses. Skip that one. There we go. Okay, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Jerusalem is like Mecca uh, for, the, for Jewish people, which Philip was, and it was a, a bustling city of culture. And he says, sent from down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place, speaking of Gaza. And he arose and went. So the spirit said, rise and go, and he rose and went. Now, like, why in the world would Philip do this? Why did he go to Gaza. I mean, because Jerusalem is like an amazing place, an amazing city and a culture, and he's very comfortable and convenient there. Gaza must be amazing. It must be like South Beach or the Caribbean or the Bahamas. It must be an amazing place, except that it wasn't. It's a desert place. Not only that, Gaza is a Philistine city. Remember the Philistines? Oh, those are the bad guys back in the Old Testament. Remember Goliath, the big tall guy? He was a Philistine. So, I mean, Gaza, you know, like sometimes, you know, you drive through Missouri. And there's like a really small town. It has like a gas station, a Hardee's, and a nail salon. And, uh, and then it might have like eight cop I don't know how they afford it, but they have like eight cop cars, and they will pull you over for speed. So it's like, Gaza's like one of those Missouri, small little Missouri towns. Like who, who would want to live there? And uh, the answer is no Jew would want to live there. No Jew would want to go there. This was not a place of comfort and convenience, especially for a city dweller like Philip. So why did he do it? Because he was sent. Rise and go, and he rose and went. Let me ask you a question. Why do you live where you live? Oh, you know, I just, you know, I like the house. I like the neighborhood. It's the only place I can afford. You know, it's convenient. It's got a great, you know, whatever it is. It's, it's the neighborhood I want to live in, and... You know, those, whatever those reasons are, they're all fine and good and more power to you if you live in the neighborhood you want and you live in the um, house that you want. But if you are a Christian, and I hope that as you move along in Christ, this becomes true of you, that as, but for Christians, we are those that wherever we go, we go because we are sent. We go because we are sent. There are people in this church who have moved into homes they wouldn't necessarily choose based on, not based on preference, because the spirits had rise and go, and they rose and they went. Uh, we, we've li- we sought to live this way from the very beginning of our marriage. We got married in 2000. We bought our first house in 2002. And we, we, we bought a house in Normandy by UMSL because we felt this, we felt sent to... Re- to reach calls to a sign. I know you're thinking, but this is back when I was younger and it's more likely. And so we, we wanted to be by these college students. So we felt the spirit said, rise and go. So we went, we went and we lived in Normandy to be by UMSL. And then, and then when we bought this building that we're in right now in 2006, we did some renovations. And then in April of 2007, 
uh, we start. We had our first uh, uh, service here in May of 2007. We bought a house about a half mile from here because we we felt sent. We did it because we felt sent. And then in 2014, a prophetic word uh, came to my wife and I, and we felt sent to go spearhead Kirkwood, and have since turned that over to others. But it caused us to move there as well. None of these because it was something we want to do. In fact, in, in the, when, we, when we moved into the city, my wife cried. When we moved away from the city, my wife and my kids cried. Uh, and then I cried too, just so my wife would stop crying. You know, like, you know, you just, that's how, why are you crying, Brian? Well, be, you know, then she stops crying. Anyway, it's a little trick, but um, <laughs> don't tell her. This isn't recorded, is it? Okay. The, uh, so so Philip, he goes to Gaza because he was sent, right? So let me just be clear. Like being sent isn't an activity or even a destination or a change of address, but is a mindset. Because some of you are thinking, you know, like, you know, I bought my house because of the neighborhood. I bought my house because, you know, I like the, you know, I like the style. I bought my house for all these reasons. There was no leading of the spirit. I just kind of ended up here. I mean, what do I do? I move? Well, maybe. Some have. But let me show you what Philip said at the end of uh, we didn't read this. This is in verse 40, but Philip found himself. Like some of you have just found yourself. You know, I go to school here. I, was, I just found myself in this neighborhood. Well, what would he do? He said he started preaching the gospel to all the towns. Why? Because I'm a, he's a sent person. So it doesn't even actually matter where you live as much as why you live there. So your where may not change today, but your why can, and it should. Colossians 3.17 is a great verse, by the way, on decision-making. It says, whatever you do, do as unto the Lord. Which is kind of like, you know, the Bible's saying, hey, whatever it is, like the, we, we kind of focus in on what am I, you know, what job do I take? And, well, you know, what house do I buy? And, you know, you, know, you know, whatever, what spouse should I have? And what degree should I get? The Bible says, hey, whatever it is, secondary. Why you do it? Primary. We do everything as unto the Lord because we are sent people. That's what it means to be a Christian, living as a sent man or woman. Because sometimes you can have a good reason to move, but then you can kind of drift in your reason. I don't know if you've experienced that, which is why we have to refresh ourselves. That happened to my wife and I. We, 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 were, we felt sent to uh, the city and it was about mission, but it drifted uh, because what happened is you know, you probably picked up, the cool thing to do is like you move into the city when you're in your 20s and then you get married, you have a couple of kids, you're like, oh my gosh, where am I gonna send them to school? And then you move in your 30s and then, and then you move back in your 50s and 60s once your kids leave. But the, um, so you, you have this thing. And so we experienced that. We moved in the city like, hey, we're gonna come into the city. And we, we brought our two little kids and had another one. And, and uh, we're like, we're gonna raise our kids here. And, and then we, we, our neighborhood, like we would, uh, like people who had young kids, they kept moving over and over and over again. And um, we're like, oh my gosh. So you kind of have to develop, if you stay in the city, you kind of have to develop this chip on your shoulder. Like, you know, I'm not going to be one of those. You know, I'm going to be, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to. So one of your biggest fear if you live in the city is you don't want to be a, like your biggest fear is to be a sellout. Your biggest fear is, is a minivan and, and going to a chain restaurant doesn't have vegan options. Like that's your biggest fear. If you live out in the county, your biggest fear is a bad school district and a weed growing in your perfectly manicured lawn. But this is, these are the tensions that you live with. You don't want to be a sellout. And so that became an identity for us. Like we didn't, we had to actually, when God told us to go, we had to repent because we, we moved three months before my 40th birthday. I almost made it, but not quite. And I remember even like, 
we had our U-Haul out in front of our house and in the neighbor, you know, because it's so hard. I, we didn't have the heart to tell our neighbors. U-Haul out in front of our house. Like, well, you guys, what are you guys doing? I don't know what that's doing here. Like, I don't know. Like, it's just, you know, are you guys, no, we're not moving. Like, why are people, come, stuff coming out of your house? I don't know. It's just, so it was a hard thing for us. And we drifted. And so our why drifted. It became about something else. And so it's, it's, it's really important that you, we remind ourselves, refresh ourselves, okay, what am I here on earth for? And why am I in this neighborhood? Because I'm living as a sent man and woman, not just where you live, by the way. We want to live sent in our neighborhoods. But we also want to live sent in our jobs. Why do you work where you work? Oh, it's a good paycheck. Oh, it's, a fulfilling, it's fulfilling to me, and this is what I enjoy. Well, who cares? The reason why we have our jobs, the big reason, is because we're sent there. We're sent there. We want to work as sent men and women. We want to play wherever you play. You know, I go to the park and play. I go, I, go, I, go, I go play golf. I go to the gym. Whatever it is that you do for recreation, do recreation as a sent man or woman. What happens when you live sent? Well, here's what's going to happen. You're going to meet some, you're going to meet some very interesting people, some, really, some unlikely people, actually, because check out this guy. Let me show you. He says, this is so Philip is sent. He says, there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasury. So let me tell you about this Ethiopian eunuch. First of all, He's Ethiopian, so he's a black African. So Philip is a, is a Jewish, uh, middle-class um, guy. He's, he is a black African who's a eunuch, so he was castrated, right? So that was the price of admission if you worked in the court of the queen. They didn't want you doing any funny business, so if you wanted this job, the price of admission was castration. Now you're thinking, that's a lot of sacrifice for a job. I bet you if I looked into your life, I might find that you're excessively sacrificing as well. But that's another message. So, we, so he was a court official which, and he, who was in charge of all of it. So he was CFO of the company, of the, of the country. So he was, he was up there. So here you have these, this, these very, 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 very different people. He's a black African. He's, 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 he's racially different. He's socioeconomically different. He's culturally different, and he's sexually altered. This, these guys could not be more different. In fact, to be a eunuch, see, if you read Leviticus, if you read through Leviticus and you read about all these rules and regulations, um, there were things that you could do to, to, for you to be excluded from temple worship. Most of them would just temporarily exclude you from temple worship, but there were some things that would permanently exclude you from temple worship. Being a eunuch was one of them. So, I mean, you're talking about, man, this is unlikely of a meeting, but, but this is why I love verses like 2 Samuel 14, 14. Let me show you that one. We all must die. That's not why I like it, but it's true. We are like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Have you ever spilled water on the ground and tried to pick it up? You can't. So what's this verse saying? This verse is saying that all of us are going to die permanently unless something intervenes. It's not going to be risen back up. A permanent death. But God devises means. He devises ways. How many ways? Lots and lots of ways so that the banished one will not remain an outcast. So man, if, you, if you're feeling excluded, whether you felt excluded by others or maybe you've just excluded yourself and you're not even sure why you're here, like, I just want you to know, man, God is after you and he is devising ways to reach you. 
So just in case you didn't feel awkward enough in church, God is watching you and he is devising ways to come get you. Because he loves you and he died for you. So that's these, this very unlikely meeting and, and you may feel that way. You may feel like an outcast again, racially different culturally different, sexually different, religiously different. God is after you. He wants all people. And I know as Christians, we've not done very well at communicating the gospel. Sometimes Christians, we've communicated something that there's a type of person that God is after that's just not true. What you see here in this story, and actually you see this all throughout Acts and really through all throughout the Bible, it's the Holy Spirit has strong desires for barriers to be broken down because he is devising ways for people to come to know him. He wants all nations, all cultures to be a part. Now, those of us who are human, it's all of us, I won't make you raise your hand. Without the Spirit's intervention, you need to know this about yourself. You need to admit this about yourself. Without the Spirit's intervention, you will exclude too. Because one of the things that you're going you're gonna to see is that, the, is, and this is what this passage tells us, is that Christianity is, 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 does not belong to one group or another. In fact, so it started with one race, right? It started with the Jews in the Middle East, but then it went to a group of Samaritans. They got converted. We, read about that, we heard about that last week. And now this sexually altered black African, he becomes in, and then it moves into the Gentiles. We're going to read about that. And then the Greeks and the Romans and Asia and Turkey, it's going to keep going and keep going and keep going. And what will shock you, it may shock you, because this is what you don't hear in the news or universities, is, is that and it goes against conventional wisdom about what people assume about Christianity, is that Christianity is the most inclusive religion, if you want to call it that, in the world. If you just look at the data. I mean, what you'll learn on most universities is that uh, uh, religion is nothing more than a product of a particular culture. And for the most part, that is true. Um, you can get these stats. I got these stats from a book called Reason for God by Timothy Keller. 96% of all Muslims live in the Middle East, Northern Africa, South Asia regions where it originated. So that's true of Muslims. 88% of Buddhists live in East Asia. 98% of Hindus live in India or South Asia. But Christianity is absolutely different. You probably, I don't know, you're not going to get this in our culture. 25% of global Christians live in Central and South America and the Caribbean. 23% of global Christians live in Africa. Thank you, Ethiopian eunuch. 14% of all Christians are, of global Christians are in Asia, and that number is rapidly increasing. In fact, this stat that I have is probably wrong. It's probably bigger than that now. In China alone, upwards of 10,000 people a day are coming to Christ. A day. 25% of global Christians live in, in Europe, and only 11% of the global population of Christians live in North America. Ironically, less than 1% of the global population of Christians live in its Middle Eastern origins. Christianity is utterly unique. It stands in a category of its own and almost certainly exhibits more cultural diversity than any other religion, including and probably especially secular humanism, which is pretty much a Western idea. Which are the ones who are always talking about inclusiveness. That's why I threw that in there. Now, Christianity is not inclusive because Christians are amazing. And they're really well-adjusted 
inclusive, open-minded people, because that may not necessarily be true. But here is what is true, is that the Holy Spirit of God is very, very inclusive, and he is devising ways. God is devising ways so that the banished ones will not remain an outcast. And as you and me, Christian, cooperate, I'll use the word submit to, the Holy Spirit of God every day as a sent man or woman. If you want to be an inclusive person, read as much as you can. That helps. You know, keep an open mind. That for sure helps. But if you want to be, if you want to be inclusive, like the most inclusive person, submit to and follow the Spirit of God every day. Live as a sent man. Live as a sent woman. And the Holy Spirit of God will lead you past barriers to some very unlikely people. Because for them to hear the gospel, some of you or I or someone has to go do it. I mean, that's what it says in Romans, right? Romans 10 says this. Paul wrote, how then will they call on him who they've not believed? And how are they to believe of him who they've never heard? So if someone needs to hear, but they only need to hear Someone needs to preach. And then it says, how are they to preach unless, some, unless they are what? What's that word? Sent. Sent. If you want to be an inclusive person, the only way to be an inclusive person is to live sent. If you want people to know who, are, who feel on the outside to be on the inside, the only way to do that is to live sent as a mindset. Where I live, where I work, where I play, I'm a sent man or woman. Um, the Spirit is sending Philip. The Spirit said to Philip, go on and join this chariot. So the Philip ran to him and, and he heard him reading Isaiah and the prophet asked him, or excuse me, yeah, and the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? Again, how am I supposed to understand this and so someone explains it to me? How are they supposed to believe unless someone preaches? And how are someone to preach unless they are sent? Philip was sent. And he invited Philip, that is a eunuch, up with him. And now the passage of scripture that he was reading was like this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before, its shear is silent. So he opens on his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation for his life was taken from the earth? Okay, so this is a quote from Isaiah 53, which is written about 800 years before the life of Christ. Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would be like a lamb that would be led to the slaughter, that he would be wrongfully accused of crimes he did not commit, but he would not open his mouth. And that came true to the letter. Jesus stood before Pilate and he was accused of many heinous crimes that he had not done. And he stood there silent, even though he was completely innocent. He did not open his mouth to defend himself. Now, let me ask you a question. When you are in court, and you are being accused of crimes, and you do not say a word, what can you assume? Or what do we assume? Parents, make it a little easier on you. Parents, when you ask your child, hey, Tommy, did you take a cookie? And they stand there silent. What do you know about what Tommy did? He's, yeah, he's got crumbs on his mouth. He ate the cookie. 
Yeah, when you stand there silent and people are accusing you, the assumption that you can rightfully make is that they're guilty. You are conceding guilt when you say silent. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing. He was conceding guilt, but he wasn't conceding his own guilt. He was conceding your guilt and he was conceding my guilt. You see, the gospel can be summed into four words. Jesus in my place. Jesus lived the life that you and I should live, but we don't. There's not one righteous, no, not one. So the Lord laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all. And like a lamb being led to slaughter, he did not open his mouth to bear your guilt, to bear your shame, to pay the price for your sin and for mine. And that's the gospel he explained to him. And he said, this is, is this about some prophet? Is this about someone? He said, no, it's all about Jesus. It's about what Jesus has done for you. You see, and this is sometimes, this is what gets confusing for, for people. But so Christianity is widely inclusive, it is very, very inclusive. But this wide path quickly narrows because something has to happen with you and I in order to, to walk with Christ. He, he's devising ways so that all people can come to know him. But the way that we get to know him isn't by, by you know, picking our favorite color. I like this one, I like this one. But it's, it's submitting to, it's receiving the gift of salvation that Christ hands us. It's by realizing, it's by saying, okay, Jesus loved me so much that he was willing to die in my place, which has an implication. You have to admit that you deserve to die for what you've done. And that's something that all cultures have a problem admitting. You see, what he didn't say is like, hey, I can tell you're a pretty sincere guy. You know, you got to figure it out for yourself. He says, no, this is about Jesus. Because some of us, sometimes we think, you know, sincerity, that's what counts. Being a good person, that's what counts. You gotta, if you're sincere in what you believe, that's, this guy was sincere. This guy walked a thousand miles, all right? Ethiopia to Jerusalem, a thousand miles in the desert. And we, uh, Philip picks up, he meets this on the way back. So it was maybe, it was more than a thousand miles. He'd gone a thousand, he's on his way back, right? Um, he was very, very, very sincere. He probably risked his job that he risked a lot for. I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, I would guess it'd take a few months to, you know, thousand mile round trip. Uh, can, you, can you leave your job for months at a time? He probably, I don't know. He was very, very sincere. Wasn't enough. In fact, in his sincerity, he came back kind of like, what, you know, still, still questioned, still wondering. But what he had to do, he had to, he had to come to this realization that Jesus had died in his place, which meant that he, he accepted his love, but he also, he also admitted to his own guilt in doing that. And, and, that, and as you read on the story, we see that he was baptized. So baptism is an outward symbol of what happened on the inside. It says he went down in the water and he came up out of the water. He, he, in baptism, uh, you're declaring that my old life is dead. 
See, that's why we put people under the water. It's like a burial, right? So my old life is, is gone. So everything that I've accomplished, my career, the things that I've strived for, you know, my morality, my good works, all of that is dead to me. And in baptism, I'm burying that and saying it has nothing to do with me. And I, and I come out of the water symbolizing I'm with Christ now. I'm going to live for him, and it's for him and by him. And you walk in humility from that day forward. And that's exactly what he did. And that's exactly what you need to do. If you've come to this place like, man, I think God is, is after me. What do you do? What do you, what, what do you, how do you make sense of this? Well, it's not by what you do, but it's about what Christ has done. That he has died in your place. That he loves you tremendously. And his spirit is, is worked to, to, to find you. And, and, you're, and you're, what you do right now is you, is you stop and you, and you repent. And you say, I deserved, I deserve to die. I'm going to die, and unless you, inter, unless you intervene, God, I'm like water that's just going to go to the ground and can't be gathered up. Unless you intervene, which you did 2,000 years ago on that cross, you died for my sin so that I could rise to new life in him. It's not about being sincere. It's about pointing to what he's done for us. And the, so the rest of us, Christians, can I encourage us, can I encourage us to live as sent men and women? Can you see that there are, there, there, is a, there are neighborhoods, there are workplaces, there are worlds that need to hear this message? And on our own, we'll, we'll stay in our own circle of comfort. We'll stay with what we're comfortable with. We'll be around the people we're comfortable with. But we'll never have the adventure of being used by God in extraordinary ways, reaching unlikely people. And he wants to use you that way. Not just a special few, but he wants to use everyone. In fact, if you come to Christ today, he wants to use you, tomorrow. He wants to use you today to reach someone else. Because it's not about you, it's about the spirit. And all we have to do is, is live submitted to him and say, okay, I'm a sent one, where are you sending me? Oh, you want me to go talk to that person? Okay, I'll go around by him. Hey, what are you reading? Let me tell you about Jesus. Live sent where we live, work sent, play sent. Why don't we stand?